Welcome to Harlow on Healthcare. I'm David Harlow, and I invite you to join me by my virtual hearth as I sit down with healthcare leaders to discuss building the future of healthcare. Today, my guest is Bob Catter, president of First Data Bank, also known as FDB. Bob has served in leadership roles at the company for over a decade, and over the past 40 years, FDB has been known for providing objective, clinically vetted drug databases that drive health information systems across the industry, serving many, if not most, hospitals, physician practices, pharmacies, payers, other players in healthcare every day. Bob's first mission, if you will, when he stepped into top leadership at the company was to advance new product development and commercialization with an emphasis on innovation. We'll get into that in just a moment. Bob, welcome to the program. And I wonder if you'd like to add a little bit of self-introduction, introduction of the company, and some of your current priorities. Sure thing, David. So first of all, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk uh, a little bit about First Data Bank and the great work that we're doing, at least that I believe we're doing. And so appreciate the forum and uh, enjoy following your podcast as well. I think that uh, you uh, focused in on trying to drive innovation. I joined the company as head of sales and marketing and have kind of grown into this role. I'm fortunate enough to now serve as president of the company for the last three and a half years. And it's really for me, I mean, I knew First Data Bank because my background for probably about 25 years now is in the health IT industry. I worked for an EMR company called Medical Logic, and then I worked at Relay Health, which probably most of our listeners know. And I worked at Relay Health before it was part of McKesson, and then for several years after it, was, it had become part of McKesson. Uh, so I knew First Data Bank relatively well. And I think First Data Bank does many things really, really well. We are, the, I think, the leading provider of, as you mentioned, drug databases to really all aspects of the healthcare delivery industry. And with that, I think FDB is pretty well known for having very high quality product, highly accurate product. We update the product daily, take that responsibility very seriously. But I will say when I joined the company, like many very, very good companies that have been operating successfully for years, there was a certain way we did things. And I would just say that way had become a little bureaucratic, a little bit slow to move and respond to the market. And so I think what I've tried to inject in the company is keep all the stuff around quality and process control. And we don't want to lose any of that. We feel that our customers trust us to do that well but then also bring into the company a little more energy around responding to what's going on in the market and more aggressively working with customers to develop new solutions that meet their needs and kind of meet them where they are now. So it's trying so to keep are, the are those, are those needs. Do you see those needs evolving? Are there some new pain points that we didn't see back in the day? I mean, I know the company has been around for a while, and I'm always fascinated to see the origin story of yep. publishing a dead tree directory <laughs> on a quarterly basis or whatever it was when the company started out. See change since then on the company side, but I guess the question is, what are some of the 
current pain points that you see on your customer side? Well, yeah, to answer the first part of your question, I think the needs are changing quickly and fairly dramatically. Some of this directly relates to, to the work we do and not all of it does, but just if you just think about the current state of the healthcare industry, particularly the delivery side, as we kind of come out of this pandemic era, whether we're fully out of the pandemic, I, I don't think we are, but that's a different issue. But as we move at least emotionally and, and psychically beyond that era, we're you know, we healthcare workers are overworked. Many, many hospitals and clinics all over the country are understaffed. So that's certainly changed. And then in terms of our customer needs specifically related to what we as a company do, we at the heart, we provide medication decision support. So we try to make sure professionals, when they're prescribing meds or administering meds or dispensing meds in a pharmacy and whatever setting, we try to make sure that they have the information they need to do these things safely and effectively. And I think the needs are changing in the sense that we've created, we for State of Bank and the rest of the industry, we've created just a deluge of information, so much information for clinicians to deal with that it's almost unmanageable. So we're not trying to reduce the important and effective information, but we're trying to much more uh, precisely provide the information that people need and not all of the voluminous amount of extraneous information that maybe people don't need. Um, or, or I guess if you were in the music industry, you'd call it a better signal to noise ratio. Uh, because we think that's what clinicians and healthcare you know, providers and all across the spectrum need to do a better job. And, and that's on us to, to get them that right information. So I don't know if that helps, David. Yeah, that's true. Because it's, look, we have more information than, than, than we know what to do with, right? So the value add has got to be the filter. We don't want you know, signal to noise is a good analogy or the, the sort of the alarm fatigue issue that happens in other parts of clinical practice. And we need to focus that information at, at the risk of, of being super up to the minute as we're talking these days, everybody's talking about AI and generative AI in particular. And I'm wondering whether that kind of tooling is something that you're using in an effort to filter and create a stronger signal. Yes, but maybe not in exactly the way that might be completely obvious. So yes, no discussion today is complete without some discussion of generative AI and I say that a little glibly, but I actually believe that's because it is just so foundational and important. I don't know where this heads in the next five to 10 years, but I think that whether or not people are ready, I think it's going to be brought into clinical decision support and clinical decisions more than even people might think. Uh, it's an incredibly powerful technology. We're right now, at the same time, I think it's maybe a while, if not a really long time, before people are going to say, hey, and this is kind of a cheap example, but I don't think anyone quite yet is ready to say, what's my dosing in the NICU for, for a neonate? I'm going to go ask the GPT engine what that should be, uh, because people may not be uh, completely confident that the information that I'm going to get back is, is dead on, and, and, and it needs to be in that case, right? But I feel like in terms of, uh, so we've set up our own kind of private sandbox. Uh, we're still thinking about how we share this sandbox with customers, but 
What we've done is we've partnered with a couple of the AI providers right now. We're primarily working with Microsoft, although we're going to bring others in. And so we have the latest version. I think it's GPT-4 in our private sandbox. And we're asking it queries around the documentation that goes along with our database, as well as running all sorts of queries. And both our clinical people and our, our tech, our developer people, are working with the technology. And we're looking for just essentially a lot of better ways to do our job. And then what we're also looking at, how do we leverage this technology for customers to be able to access our information in a more kind of efficient and focused way. So I think it is gonna be super helpful on that problem, uh, but I think it's gonna take a little while uh, to get there. I don't think it's just quite as simple as just turning the whole thing over to the uh, generative AI engine. And I know you're not suggesting that, Although no, I think, no, I think, yeah. I think it's yeah. very important at this stage to keep a human in the loop, right? Yes. And maybe someday there's some things that we can hand off a little yep. bit further to the machines and it's a new kind of a machine. So we need to figure out what it can do. That's exactly right. And we're big human in the loop. And I think that for us, that's the foreseeable future. The information we bring to bear in providing this advice to hospitals and clinics and pharmacies, et cetera, it's based all on publicly available information. So the, you know, the filings that pharmaceutical companies make with the FDA, peer-reviewed journal articles, that type of thing. So certainly scouring those sources using AI technology makes a lot of sense because that's pretty intensive and labor-intensive work. But again, curating it and that last kind of finishing touch before we put it out there for the world, that, that goes through humans. And I think it it will, at least for a very long time, is kind of the way I view it. Sure. So that's one one example of innovation. And you've spoken uh, a little bit more about innovation and the need to meet customers where they are and help them along. How do you promote innovation internally? Do you have an approach to that? You, you talked a little bit about needing to nudge the company forward from the way we've always done things on that yeah. front. So I mean, what's, can you give a concrete example or two? Oh, absolutely. So when you say you have an approach to it, it's just maybe so, so much who I am and I'm fortunate to have colleagues. You know, I came out of what was at least a few years before we sold it to McKesson, what was a very, it was a venture backed startup and so much of my DNA and my career has been around building things and around bringing new solutions to market. I mean, Relay Health originally was focused on bringing the concept of an online visit or a video visit to into the mix. Back then, there wasn't even a way to get that paid for. And we were probably the two early pioneer. <clears throat> Excuse me. It took a pandemic, I think, to get us there. But so I've been doing that kind of thing my whole career. And in coming into FDB, I think there was a lot of desire among the employee. We have just fantastic employees and very skilled and knowledgeable employees. But I think for me, it's just a little bit of maybe it's a just bringing in the new perspective, like we can really do these things. And, and so I don't know if I have a formal approach as much as we've really just tried to really focus our culture, our company meetings, which we do quarterly and that kind of thing. We've just tried to focus on examples of innovation and work we're doing with customers and just really make that part of the, the, the kind of discussion within the company that goes on and on and really try to highlight that great work. And, and maybe that's why 
how I've tried to kind of pull the company along to a certain extent. And, and that's even maybe the wrong way. To, it's more like harnessing the people in the company that want to do the kind of work to begin with. And then maybe I'll just keep going here. An example of how, well, how does that get put into practice is we try to partner with customers. So a great example is what we're doing right now in the retail pharmacy world. So about three and a half years ago, we sat down with one of our longstanding retail pharmacy customers. This is a big company. It's one of the largest retail chains in the country. And we sat down with them and together we envisioned a world where what's called drug utilization review can happen in a different way. And, and for that, we leveraged what was not new technology at the time, but certainly emerging technology. We really leveraged cloud technology. And so as of today, when you walk into any number of several thousand drugstores all over the country, what happens is very, very different than what used to happen. And I'll try to give you a quick example. So if you walk into one of these stores and you go to pick up your medications, the pharmacist is still working on his or her computer to do a series of safety checks or what's called drug utilization review behind the scenes to make sure that med they're handing you is safe. It doesn't interact inappropriately with other meds that you're on, that you understand when to take the med, if you have to separate taking that med from another med, that type of thing. That's all happening. But the way that's happening now, as opposed to before, a bunch of generalized alerts that the pharmacist had to read through and try to make sense of. The way that happens now is that patient profile is sent through the web to the FDB solution sitting in Amazon Web Services. And we receive that patient profile. And then we send back three simple things. We send back about a two or three sentence summary to the pharmacist of what's going on clinically with that patient. We send back a recommendation on what we think is the right next best action or the next step for the pharmacist to take. And then we send, and that could be fill the med or fill the med and counsel the patient on X or much more unusually, contact the prescriber because maybe you shouldn't fill this med and here's why. And then we send two different types of narratives to support those actions. One, which is crafted for talking to a consumer or a patient. And then the other, in the rare case where they have to contact the prescriber, is focused on contacting the prescribers. You call the prescriber because of a significant risk that the system has identified, then we're going to give you some backup and say, here's what the system has shown. You may want to consider this, and you may even want to consider this alternative medication that the system suggests. So much more focused on that specific patient, real time and what's happening. And all that happened, the health profile to us, and then the message back to the pharmacist sitting behind the desk in, in the pharmacy, all that happens in less than half a second. And it happens a couple million times a day. So that's the kind of thing you can do with technology that really gets that pharmacist practicing pharmacy again, as opposed to spending her time or his time trying to read through this large number of kind of warnings and alerts flashing up on their screen. And so we've been working on and are now rolling that out with this customer this summer after a three-year kind of gestation period of working together to make this happen. So that's an example of the kind of thing we're trying to do. If you're just tuning in, this is Harlow on Healthcare coming to you on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm David Harlow, and my guest today is Bob Catter, president of First Data Bank. 
Bob, we've been talking about being responsive to customers and encouraging and harnessing the power of your colleagues around the company. And I guess other constituencies you might be dealing with are outside trusted experts and frankly, the, the patients who are the ultimate beneficiaries of the work that you do. And I'm wondering how you, how you incorporate the, the listening that needs to go on, the power of listening to those constituencies in order to build what you're building. Yeah. And I think a lot of this and any, you know, it's funny, I've just spent a lot of time with my uh, 20 year old son who's between his second and third year in college. And we spent a lot of time over the last few days when he's been home talking about listening and really hearing and understanding people. And he, he has no interest in being in a business career like me, but we talked about just in any career or anything you do, the power of listening. I think listening to customer needs, or that's really what a lot of this comes down to. So the example I just went through was how we worked with this large retail pharmacy customer to roll out a different way to do DUR, drug utilization review. We've been listening to them, and hopefully they've been listening to us mutually for three years on how to do this. And into that, comes, well, in this case, what's the pharmacist experience when he or she is out there and they're going through their busy day and they're having to do it? And then maybe indirectly, but what's the patient experience when they're on the other side of the desk, so to speak, and they're talking to the pharmacist and they're interacting with the pharmacist? I guess maybe just I'm just saying how important it is to incorporate that in. But I think if you go at it with the idea that it should be a better experience for everybody. And therefore, you got to hear them out on you know, where they are today and how it works today and how they think it could work better. That's at least a good start on developing new solution because I think you've got a much better chance of hitting the mark when you put it out there. And so far, we're, you know, it's ironic because we're in that first few weeks of having rolled the solution out now across retail pharmacies. We're getting a ton of, we're getting two things. We're getting a lot of, we're getting a lot of, thank goodness, a lot of really positive feedback. I'm like, wow, I love this new system. It's much more efficient for me. It's like helping me. We're also getting a ton of suggestions, but here's how you could make it even better. (laughs) So we feel like we did hit the mark, but we didn't hit the mark everywhere. So now we're in the kind of furious haste of putting new updates and innovations and tweaks to make their lives even better. But all of that started back with what happens when the patient goes in to get their prescription from a pharmacist? How does that interaction work? And what would better support the pharmacist in making that work better for both the patient and therefore the pharmacist? And that, as you say, all starts with listening. Right. Great. So what I hear you saying is one way or another, uh, user experience is at the core, right? And Are there other elements that have universal application when you're thinking about developing healthcare technologies? I mean, we talk about fire and other APIs and other stuff like that. There's some standards that are maybe table stakes, so to speak. But are there other universal elements that you would look at when you're thinking about designing a solution? Yes. And I, I just do want to reiterate a little bit the way you put it, though, because I think I think user experience, and ironically now we're talking about, in this case, two users. And there, in our industry, there are always two users because there's always a caregiver and then there's always ultimately a patient. And both are affected by the kind of work that we do. 
And I think the reason I think it's so important to start there and why I'm still reiterating it is because I think as an industry healthcare, we haven't done a great job on user experience. It's just not even just around software systems. It's so many things in healthcare are just more difficult to do, even if you're a patient, than they should be. Um, whether that's getting a vaccine or picking up your prescription or getting information or, or asking your doctor a quick question. So I think we're right, uh, whether it's our company, uh, software vendors, the deliverers themselves, like, we're all right to focus on user experience. And as you said, there's kind of a set of standards and technologies. I view those as tools. And I, I like the way you put it. Those are table stakes. Like you'd be crazy to go out and try to reinvent the way DUR works in a pharmacy, for instance, without being aware of what are all the technologies that I have available to me to do it. We, as I mentioned earlier in my example, I think use the cloud in a way that makes a lot of sense. Something you couldn't have done 20 years ago because that, 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 that ability to do a kind of check that way through the cloud, a round trip check just didn't exist. But I think the, I guess maybe the next one would be you've got to build in quality and you particularly have to build in quality when you do the kind of work we do. So let's just stay with our pharmacy example for a minute. So we've, from the retail drugstore, we now have this patient profile. We know a lot about this patient, the meds they're on, the medical conditions they have, quite a bit about their demographics. If we're going to send back a recommendation to the pharmacist on what he or she should do and that supporting documentation, we better get it right. Because that pharmacist is a trained medical professional, but they're also, they're basing the advice they give and the steps they take based on the advice we give them. So you have to build in quality. This stuff is amazingly complex. And the underlying science on which our recommendations are based, those are continuing to evolve as well. So it's kind of a paradox. You want to make the user experience as straightforward and simple as possible, but Underneath it all, you've got to deal with all the complexity so that you don't just send back kind of spurious advice and have the healthcare provider and send off the patient down the wrong path. Yeah. So we talk about the two sides of the user experience. I guess there's also a third side or at least a third side, but let's talk about the third, which is the prescriber, right? And I know that you've uh, relatively recently uh, launched an e-prescribing network. And I imagine some of the interactions and counterindications, information that you're talking about surfacing at the dispensing point could also be surfaced at the e-prescribing point in time as well, right? So that uh, you can maybe nudge a prescriber away from a danger zone. Yeah. No, absolutely. And that happens today. And that happens even within the way the current network uh, works. And I'll get back to your question about the prescribing network in a minute. But I think, and to the extent that listeners are healthcare professionals or people in the industry, they already know this, but if they're even consumers listening, rest assured, your medication safety and the appropriateness of the Medgeron, that's being checked in multiple times on the chain. So Already, whether they're using FDB's database or one of our competitors' databases, anyone who's prescribing a drug electronically is already doing a different version of the same checks I just described on the pharmacy side at the point where they're prescribing the drug as well. 
The reason to do the multiple safety checks is if you think about the airline industry and the fact that planes just almost never, ever crash, which is a great thing. That's because that industry has done an amazing job of building in redundant safety checks. And I think that's what we're trying to do in healthcare as well. So rest assured on that. But back to the prescribing network, the reason we got into that is not necessarily because it wasn't safe the way it works now, but just the industry is electronic prescribing has in the last 20 years emerged as the um, almost universal way that prescriptions get transmitted in this pharmacy. Very rarely do you go to the doctor and get a paper prescription. In some states, it's not even legal for them to give you a paper prescription anymore. It has to be electronic. And what we found is since we already work with many of the electronic medical records companies and other software companies on which those prescriptions are written, as well as with the PBMs, the pharmacy benefit managers, as well as with the retail pharmacies that receive those scripts, many of those clients were saying, hey, we would like to see more competition in this industry, and we would like to see that we have more options in terms of a prescribing network and what we can use. And so us getting into that was just essentially following our customers in terms of where they were asking us to go. And we're big believers in competition. I mean, there should be competitive competition in the drug database industry. There should be competition in the electronic prescribing industry. There should be competition in the healthcare delivery industry. You should never just have only one option, at least in our view. And and that's the way we felt around electronic prescribing networks. And that's why we're pursuing that. Great. And so that's been underway for a year or so now. And is that going Um, as expected, as hoped? Yeah, we announced that uh, it'd been underway for a while before that in terms of us talking to clients and working on stuff in, you know, quote in the shop. But we announced that at HIMSS in 2022. I want to make sure to get my years right here. So that was about a year and a half ago now. And we have been out Now, the funny thing about electronic prescribing is it's a three-sided network. So really to get it all going, you have to have PBMs participating, scribers participating, or prescribers as they work on electronic medical record systems, and then you have to have pharmacies participating. We are contracted with each of those three groups, and I think we're at the point where we're going to see pretty soon a ramp, a pretty significant ramp of volume flowing through the network. The network is up and running and people are transacting on it now, but because it's a three-sided network, it's taking a while, as we always planned, to bring on critical mass on all sides. But I think we're getting close to that point. Great. So, Bob, to wrap up, I want to ask you my final question, which is, if you're to wake up tomorrow and find yourself five years in the future, what's one thing in healthcare that you would hope or maybe expect to find has changed dramatically? I think that is a great question, David. And I'm going to go with hope because <laughs> one thing I've learned in healthcare, it's we are as much as I think our company and others are trying to drive innovation. Healthcare is a pretty slow industry to change. But here's my hope. I would, I mentioned this before, and it, it kind of goes around user experience. And let's talk about patients. Patient user experience in healthcare in some instances is great, but in many other instances it's not. Healthcare is just not that convenient to do. One thing that happened to me in the pandemic is I went to get my first COVID vaccine. This was back in 2021, early 2021, if I remember. 
And I'm a, a member of Kaiser, but it turned out that I was able to get access to the vaccine sooner at a CVS. And that's the kind of thing in healthcare that would rarely happen, that a Kaiser member would walk into a CVS drugstore. But it all worked, and it was actually very convenient. It was actually paid for. That's a longer discussion. But And what amazed me the most was like a week after I got that vaccine at CVS, it showed up in my Kaiser medical record. And it was really actually pretty convenient for all that to happen. And I know the whole pandemic was kind of a special time, but I would love for people, and my hope is five years, that the whole thing is just way more convenient for people. And then I would really hope that we make those kind of basic services just more accessible to people across the income scale. Like if we were better at making healthcare convenient and more accessible five years out, I would be ecstatic. Well, that's something to strive for. Thank you, Bob. Thank you for the conversation. And thank you for that vision of the future. David, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. You have been listening to Harlow on Healthcare. Join us at healthcarenowradio.com. Let's continue the conversation on building the future of healthcare together at hashtag Harlow on HC. I'm David Harlow, keeping the fire going and holding a seat open for you. Until next time.